0: This episode is brought to you by Ramona, organic Italian wine spritzes in a can. Hi, I'm HRN's executive
1: director, Katie Mosman Wadler. With a preview of this week's episode of Meat and 3 our weekly food news roundup. So every day the shutdown continues to grow is another day that there will be a backlog. This week, we're looking at the unexpected ways the
0: government shutdown has impacted our food system. There are nearly 1.6 million New Yorkers who rely on SNAP to feed themselves and their families every single day. There is a real impact on our friends and neighbors. A lot of farmers rely on on commodity loans at the end of the year, since the offices are not open, those loans aren't available to them. Tune in to this week's Meet and Three on Heritage Radio Network. That's M-E-A-T plus Sign T-H-R-E-E. Available wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome to Own the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer, and we're coming to you live from Roberta's Restaurant in Bushwick, Brooklyn. It is Wednesday, January 23rd, 2019. This is the 202nd episode of the series, which is dedicated to behind-the-scenes talents in the hospitality industry. Today, my guest is a leader in the spirits, cocktail, and bar industry, and I will introduce him fully in a moment. First, as I do on every show, I will start out with my PR tip. And then later we will have my speed round game, industry news discussion, solo dining experience, and the final question. As the founder of Bayer Public Relations, I'm going to tip the show off with my PR tip of the week. So today's tip is to support those who support you. Makes sense, right? Know who believes in you and what you are doing and put your energy back in those people rather than others. Sometimes we lose sight of who's important in our lives and need to be reminded. It's those who are there for us in good times and bad through ups and downs. Let's remember to focus on those people as they are who matter most. So support the supportive. That's my tip today. Now, I'm really excited to have my guest here with me in the studio. It is Simon Ford, a leader in the spirits, cocktail, and bar industry and founder of the 86 company, which includes Ford's Gin, Canabrava Rum, Tequila Cabeza, and Aylesbury duck vodka when it comes to the spirits industry there is little simon hasn't done as a leading voice of the bar and cocktail scene for over 20 years simon has traveled the globe working with and learning from some of the best brands bars and professionals on the planet he has led numerous educational spirit programs judged global cocktail competitions and delivered seminars at international conferences without further ado welcome simon hi Hi. How's it going? It's going well. How are you?
1: Very good. Nice to be back in New York.
0: Yes. You're living now, these days, down down south?
1: Down south in Nashville, Tennessee.
0: How's Nashville? I'm I, due for a trip back.
1: I love it. I, I, I didn't have any expectations moving there. I had no real experience of the city. I just turned up and wondered what it would be about. It was quite an, an unassuming place at first, but... Around every corner is something exciting. The food scene's amazing. The bar uh, and cocktail scene's incredible. And, of course, there's all this music there.
0: Yeah, definitely. So
1: I'm having a good time and and, and, and thoroughly enjoying it. And it's another experience in my uh, U.S. adventure.
0: Yes. Well, that's a great segue into what brought you to the U.S. and this U.S. adventure you've been on. And how did you get involved in the cocktail spirits hospitality world?
1: Well... Long before I was, you know, in the in the US, I was as part of this industry. But in the UK, uh, I I started out working in wine, which was probably my first passion. You know, it's wine and music. Music will always be my passion. But I I worked in a fine wine shop or several for the first five years.
0: Where Uh, where in the UK?
1: Well, the store that's sort of most relevant to my story was on the Strand in London. Okay. um, Because it was opposite the Savoy, and that's how I first get introduced to cocktails for the very first time in my life really because after a, a long shift of carting around uh, boxes of wine and uh, doing tastings and selling bottles of wine to uh, our, our customers the place to go and get a drink afterwards was the uh, Savoy Hotel and, and and you can get a pint of Guinness there well maybe you can't but, uh, but, um, uh, but it's not the right thing to, to choose you know you go, you go next door for a pint of Guinness but when you go to the Savoy it just feels right to have a martini. And when you go to the Savoy, they're gonna tell you that that martini needs to be made with gin. Uh-huh. Aha, <laughs> The
0: gin, was, the seed was planted a long time ago.
1: It was. I think that um, my, my life of drinking in the very early days was I did like a good pint of Guinness. I loved fine wines and, um, and then uh, a gin and tonic and a martini. So it's, it's sort of been my life. Uh, gin's always been there. But little did I know back then that I would actually be spending a good 20 years working in the gin industry.
0: Right. So so backing up even a little more into your childhood. So you grew up where did you grow up?
1: Bath. Uh oh. it's a town west of uh, England. Well, okay. about 100 miles west of London. Very beautiful city. Uh, 85,000 people, quite small so uh, a lot of people around sort of 19 to 22 do leave. A lot of people go back because it's such a wonderful place. But uh, I left at the age of 19 for the big city and ended up in London.
0: And so when you're back then career wise, did you, did you have, I don't know, a vision of what you wanted to do or how I mean, was it just these, these jobs that sort of like, like I, grabbed you?
1: I fell into it. Okay. I, it, it it's really quite funny. I, I, I get a job working 20 hours a week in a wine shop you know studying and so I, you know I'm doing 20 hours a week and the the manager of the shop who gave me the job and it was on a recommendation said okay what should we open and of course my response you know this young young version of myself says well, don't really like dry wines and I don't really like red wines and all of a sudden he's like And how did I give you this job? You know, and and, and so he handed me a bottle of wine. It was a red wine. And he said, write notes on this and bring it back tomorrow. Your job depends on it. And I go home with this bottle of wine. And, you know, you couldn't Google it back then. And I didn't have a library of wine books to go to. So I had to figure this out. And so I opened it. I'm tasting it. Thankfully, I had a very good set of French friends who I shared it with that night who owned a house in the region where the wine was from and were able to tell me everything from the producer about it. I got absolutely lucky. It was a wine from Cahors, you know, Malbec, the black, the black wines of, uh, of, uh, of that part of France, um, the Lot Valley. And I remember this bottle so, like, vividly. And uh, I went back the next day with my notes and his jaw dropped and he gave me a bottle of Burgundy. And I went home that night and I made the notes on the Burgundy. And before I knew it, I was... A sort of mini, mini young expert on on on, on 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 sort of wine.
0: Yeah, that's. I love that story. It was fun. What led you to the US then?
1: So, you know, I sort of gradually moved from working in in wine uh, into spirits marketing, which happened in the UK. And a, a gentleman called Charles Rolls uh, had uh, become the chairman of a. a A defunct—I wouldn't call it defunct—but it was a brand of gin that had not really been around for a long time. But it was made in the oldest gin distillery, working gin distillery in the world. It was Plymouth Gin, and he and some partners had bought this distillery and were trying to revive the brand and bring bring it back to the world. And they'd been very successful in doing so in the UK. So they um, they hired me, and then you know, and after a few years of doing the work in England, they said it's time to launch or relaunch Plymouth Gin in the USA, and so they gave me an opportunity to come here.
0: And is that as a brand ambassador? Or was that even before a brand ambassador term was being used? That was,
1: uh, th- that was a brand ambassador. Okay. The term was definitely being used. Uh, it just was being used less in the U.S. than it was in the U.K., so I was able to bring a lot of the things that I'd learned in England that were sort of normal ways of promoting and the teaching people about spirit brands. And I bought that to the U.S. and it was a little bit more novel. People hadn't seen it as much, that approach to, um, to, to selling and marketing. And so, of course, I, I, you know, I sort of often get, you know, I would say wrongly, but, but, um, uh, but uh, quoted as the first brand ambassador. And it, it's not necessarily true, but I certainly feel like I was one of the first in the U.S. to make an impact.
0: And what is that approach? <laughs> or you can't say that's no, top no, no, secret no.
1: it's de- definitely it's, de- <laughs> it's definitely not te- top secret I think it's um I think it's a personality type right there's a, a just as a good bartender or a good front of house person a good host uh, it requires a certain personality type to get on with people, to enjoy these environments, to have a sort of sixth sense as to when you should talk to someone and when you shouldn't, when you should interrupt and when you shouldn't. And then, of course, a, a deep passion for the spirit that you are you know, discussing, that you're selling, that you're marketing and a lot of knowledge about it that you can share. I, I, I think that those, the, those are the, you know, the key things. You're not just selling on price. You're not just selling a, a bottle because the great ad campaign or it's on billboards. You're selling it because of its rich history, because of its deep production values, because of the people that built that brand and are behind it. And you're sharing that story and you're sharing it with like-minded people that want to learn. You know? And there are more and more people today that want to know about where their products come from, but back then, yeah. uh, less so. Just a small group of very influential bartenders, and those would be the people that I think changed the industry forever.
0: Yeah, so so did you travel around the U.S., or were you based... You moved to New York at the time?
1: So uh, initially, uh, I came over in 2002, and we launched into uh, Massachusetts first. Oh, wow. Then uh, Washington, D.C., and New York. So I was getting a good sense of... Um, of uh, you know that that whole uh, area, and then we went to San Francisco next, uh, Georgia, and um, and Illinois. So I was starting to travel around the U.S., but I was based in England. So it was a wonderful four years for me because I was so often in the U.S., especially New York, that they uh, decided to get me an apartment in New York. So I was living in between London and New York, and I felt like a million dollars. You know, it was it was a, it was so much fun. Uh, Being able to sort of see London evolve in the cocktail industry and then see these key cities in the U.S. evolve in the cocktail industry. I have to say that back then, San Francisco was, you know, that that was a, you know, sort of eye-opening place. You know, New New York has always been an eye-opening place. So it was really fun to see.
0: Yeah, well, and then I'm assuming through that is how you met so many people in the industry and became involved in things like Tales of the Cocktail.
1: I mean, it goes back to what I was saying earlier. It's it, it's about like-minded people. Mm-hmm. You know, there, there was this small group of people that really cared about the products that they put in their bars, really cared meticulously about the cocktail that they were serving to their guests and wanted to change the drinking habits of the general public and make them better. Well, those are the people that wanted to listen to my stories about gin. And so, of course, we both had aligned... Uh, goals in, in all of this and so we became fast friends and so you know by me ha- trying to help promote those bartenders and bars and, uh, it w- in turn was helping promote the gin and of course it all sort of worked out and so we could travel together and do pop-ups and I took lots of bartenders back in the day to London to see what was happening in London and lots of bartenders from London to New York in exchange of ideas you know same with San Francisco and of course yes Tales of the Cocktail You know, the first person I really met in the US was Dale de Groff, of course, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, and he invited me down. They were building the Museum of the American Cocktail. And they said, why don't you come down to New Orleans? And of course, I discovered Tales of the Cocktail that way. So, yeah, I, I feel like I was there at the very beginning. It's nice.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I feel like you've been at a lot of this is the beginning, which, which I'm I'm is
1: the nice. I'm the fly on the wall. I can tell you about all of these great <laughs> people.
0: <laughs> Fantastic. We'll we'll talk more after the show. Uh, okay, so let's take a little break and then we're gonna come back and we'll talk all about what you're what you're working on today and how you started your own company. All right. Stay with us as all in the industry on Heritage Radio Network. This episode is brought to you by Ramona, the wine that doesn't need a glass, a bottle opener, or an occasion to drink it. Ramona's new flavor, lemon, is available now. Created by Jordan Salcito, Ramona is a white wine drink that's made with organic Zibibo grapes from Sicily and naturally flavored with grapefruit or lemons. It's wine, but cooler. To learn more, visit drinkramona.com or follow Drink Ramona on Instagram. Cool. Welcome back to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sherry Bayer. My guest today is Simon Fornd. He is a leader in spirits, cocktail and bar industry, and he founded the 86 company. So let's talk about that a little bit. What prompted you to start your own company and start making your own spirits, which is huge, I think?
1: I, it, it, it's definitely been an exciting journey, and I've learnt a lot along along the, you know the way. And most of of it came from all of these years. You know, I, I I've been going in and out of bars. This sounds terrible. I, I'm not an alcoholic, honest, mum. <laughs> I've been going in and out of bars, and 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 my friends are bartenders, and that's been my life for over twenty years. And and that obviously spurs a lot of conversations about the things we like about the industry and what we don't, and the things that we wish people could do better. And of course that sent cogs going off in my brain about what could be be done better and 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 the idea of the 86 company was to ask the bartender what would make a great spirit for you as a bartender you know especially in this emerging cocktail movement and so we set about making spirits that mixed well in cocktails and um and that was all about asking bartenders what, you know, high viscosity, you know, uh, full-bodied flavor, a lot of flavor to, you know, to push forward so that it doesn't get lost in a drink. And so we started forming, you know, forming ideas as to how we would like to make different spirits. Um, and and out of that, came, you know, came tequila cabeza. Um, Elsby Duck Vodka, uh, a rum made in a sort of Cuban style but made in Panama called Kanye Brava and and I think most importantly out of, of all of our spirits was, was Ford's Gin because that's been the brand that has sort of led the way for our company and is the sort of key focus for us and it, and that's the one that I was sort of most involved in too. So
0: well, you put your name on it too.
1: Yeah, that actually wasn't entirely my idea. It was definitely, <laughs> um, you know, voted uh, voted down uh, by my business partners. They said you really should put your name on it. I'm like, but that's very egotistical, and a lot of people make fun of me for that. You know, mostly my friends. But but the, the, their their point was I'd worked within the gin industry for twenty years prior to it, and so I'd sort of earned some stripes. And why not? capitalize on that you know by you know making the gin mine and working on it uh you know in the way that i would and you know so i had the final say on that recipe when we were developing it
0: yeah and it's a good name i like the name ford's gin it's, it's got a. It, it's it sounds good
1: you can order it at the bar right ford's martini it's it's not like our vodka which is called Aylesbury duck which after well, after three martinis you definitely can't pronounce
0: i i didn't, i don't think i pronounced it right Sober, so (laughs) (laughs) I I like Fords. You can say that (laughs) one. So, so how did you actually go about creating, creating your own gin, and then, and also because you were with Plymouth for a while, I mean, how does that compare? Was there any conflict in that? I don't.
1: Not at all, right? I mean, there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of gins, all with different profiles, and there are hundreds of different botanicals that one can choose from to make gin the way you want it to be made. Plymouth is a recipe that's over 200 years old. It's been around since 1793, and it will always be one of my favorite gins to drink, and it makes a great martini. Um, And, of course, there's no point in copying that. You know, The best thing to do when you're making your own gin is to identify what you think is the flavor profile that's going to offer the, um, the, the, the current customer the flavors that they might want. So I very much um, wanted to avoid making a novelty gin and wanted to make a good classic gin, and the process was fun. We sat down, and this is me and a, a gentleman who had a big part to play in the cocktail movement um, called Sasha Petrasky, He opened Milk and Honey. Right. We would sit down with flavor maps just like a chef, we would take classic cocktails and the flavors within those classic cocktails and look at the components and then look at uh, botanicals and sort of pair botanicals to cocktails so that we could create a gin recipe that would work in all of those classic cocktails. And so that's what we did, just took the mind of a chef, I think, and that process that chefs often do with flavor pairing. And what I mean by that, an example would be In Ford's Gin we use jasmine flowers, that's one of the botanicals that is used to make Ford's and jasmine goes very well with honey. We were thinking completely about drinks with tea and punches, we were thinking about drinks that use honey like the bee's knees and that jasmine and honey go together really well. You know we used a lot of bright citrus in it because that brings brightness to a martini. So we were definitely thinking constantly about how this gin is going to work in martinis because we wanted to make a gin for bartenders and the gin that bartenders would use in those classic drinks.
0: Yeah. So how have you then gone about the marketing and branding and all that? I mean, you obviously have had years of experience in doing this, but how hard was it or is it to get a new spirit on the shelves? in places of your cities, in places where you might not have as strong of relationships?
1: Well, I I, I would say the answer is extremely difficult, uh, borderline near impossible. Uh, yeah, not take-
0: impossible, <laughs> you've
1: done it. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it takes a lot of energy, it's uh, a lot of persistence, uh, it's a lot of people saying no, uh, and, and not so much no to the product, but just no to the opportunity of even trying it in the first place right you know they want to know why do I need this in the first place I've got all of these other gins right you know and and so finding a moment when they do have the time for you that 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 comes down to persistence so I think it is very difficult to to actually uh, get mind share of people in this with all of the thousands and thousands of products that they uh, someone is trying to get them to taste. So you have to have something compelling. You have to have something that people want to talk about. You have to have something that someone notable has said. Oh, this is excellent. So that then um, you know, oh, I've heard of that. Then all of a sudden, someone is going to try your product. I, I, it, it is difficult without a, a huge bandwidth and lots of money to market, and and no entrepreneur has ever has those things. <laughs>
0: True. Well, I don't know. <laughs> some but, some yeah, probably some, do, but but, yeah. <laughs> but you've done you've done very well, and obviously your product speaks for itself because you know. And you, as 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 the entrepreneur and the creator and, and brand ambassador for your own company, what what's next? I, I heard you might have have something else working with Forge Gin. Yeah,
1: I mean, we launched Ford's in two thousand and twelve, so it's been six years. It's old old crazy. brand <laughs> <laughs> it's been around all that time since 2012 um yeah so we, we launched it in 2012 and i always wanted to to make more gin i mean it's it's my passion um but until uh, you've established a footprint you don't really earn the right to do something else with with your gin and i feel that we sort of got to a point you know we reached a a, a nice moment last year where we we felt that people now know Forge gin you know we'd won some nice accolades uh, had some nice press and, and and words getting around and so now's a good opportunity for us to expand upon that and so we made an overproof and rested gin so it rested in cherry casks overproof which is 54.5% abv so particularly strong but the more proof you have in a gin The more oils you hold from the botanicals, which gives much fuller flavor. So it's a very rich, full bodied uh, product. And then, uh, you know, add to that that it's been in an amontillado cask, that adds even more richness. So it's a, it's a, it's a, i mean it's it's delicious I, I I would say that, but of course i wouldn't put anything out that i didn't think was delicious, but really proud of this, and it's going to sort of start shipping in the next couple of weeks, which is you know exciting for us because now we've got something new to focus on and a new shiny object, and that always is you know creates energy
0: what what's it called
1: we're going to call it officers reserve
0: oh okay
1: um it's it's sort of a nod to the the merchant Navy who you know mostly had rum rations and famously had rum rations and uh, supposedly uh, uh, they reserved gin for the offices on special occasions and so we just felt it was a fun name really for a gin that's been inspired by that style. I like it. Yeah, I I, I, <laughs> I, I didn't come up with it. It was, you know, it was a you know, group of friends having cocktails and someone mentioned it and I went, I like it. You know, and it was, it and it stuck.
0: Yeah. Well, stay tuned for that. And your, your distillery is in London in England? Yes. Okay.
1: So, um, we partner with a gentleman called Charles Maxwell, who's just a wonderful human being. I, I, you know, I was lucky enough to travel with him last year to Australia and, nice. and talk gin with, with bartenders around the country. And we, and we went to Singapore as well. It was a lot of fun. And, um, and we'd worked together for you know obviously since developing the gin and we started around 2009 working together and we eventually launched in 2012 so we've known each other for a long time but we've never gone out and had fun but it, you know uh, in this way he's been making gin since 92 1992 so he was you know, ahead of this whole movement in in terms of, uh, you know, his approach. And then um, his family have been making gin for 10 generations since 1680. Uh, A gentleman by the name of George Bishop with his great, 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 great grandfather and was part of the Worshipful Distillers uh, of London and was an apprentice for them in 1680 making gin. And his family had made gin every generation ever since. So, for me to work with someone with that history and that knowledge on the gin that I was to put out was was uh, was a big component in in I think the finished product. You know, being able to utilize yeah. his skills, work with the bartenders, and that I think is why, you know, Ford has a uh, good credi- uh, credibility.
0: Absolutely. That's a lot of experience. Yes.
1: <laughs> a lot more than mine, you know, and, and, and I'd worked in gym for 20 years, but this was, this was, yeah. you know, far beyond good,
0: good learn par- from the masters. Good right? choice and partner. <laughs> okay. So let me ask you my, I have two questions for my guest on my last show in episode 201. I had on Allison Kane. She's the owner of Haven's Kitchen, which is a Great. recreational cooking school, cafe and event space. In New York, she's also the host of In the Sauce here on Heritage Radio, another show we have. Okay, so two questions. The okay. first is, what's the story behind the French Seventy Five? She said she's read and heard a lot of folklore on it. She'd like to know the actual etymology of where the drink came from. Wow. <laughs> she said she heard, and she she said she heard stuff between the British and the French between <coughs> gin and champagne, and then I had to met when she asked this question, I, I immediately thought of Kat Kinsman. Do you know Kat? She's a food writer and she drinks the French 75 yes. a lot. Yeah. I don't, I, so that's, that's the question. Well, what's, what's the story?
1: It's one of my favorite cocktails. Okay. Um, its it sort of story starts with um, you know, uh, Harry McAlone. He, he had a, a bar in New York, Harry's bar in New York bar in Paris. Mm-hmm. He also had Ciro's and he had a drink called the French 75 on his menu, which was named after the French 75 gun, which was a, a gun used in World War I that was known for its power and its accuracy, sort of a, an ode to the drink. But the version of the drink that he was making had um, cognac uh, um, in it or um, a Calvados. So, uh, but it had champagne, and that's sort of one of the key ingredients. But re- really, the first sort of known mention is a, a book called Here's How, Um, where it's made with gin, but you can go back to sort of pre, you know, to the 1800s, and people were drinking champagne cups. Champagne cups were, uh, you know, a mixture of lemon, sugar, and champagne over crushed ice, very refreshing and delicious. And so if you think about what the modern French 75 is, is, it's a champagne cup with the addition of gin. You know, so it's sort of a, 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 you know, a sort of super strength, uh, uh, you know, uh, champagne cup. So here's how is where it, uh, you know, it sort of first exists there. It gets really sort of popularized by the time it hits the Savoy cocktail book. Because that's obviously a book that a lot of people purchased and is often considered the Bible of mixology by many. Uh, and in that book uh, is the French 75 with gin. And so that's sort of been the version that's manifested itself and is mostly used today. It is one of my favorite uh, cocktails. Humphrey Bogart drinks them uh, <laughs> on, on uh, during Casablanca a lot, you know, so it's sort of a, 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 sort of a, a good reference to, to sophistication, if you ask me. But um, yeah, it's a good drink.
0: Uh, I love it great answer okay second question first someone who is so involved in the spirits world what's your go-to drink and does it change with the season or the meal you're having
1: oh uh, both but I, I do have a go-to drink it's a martini just a classic martini three parts forged gin um other. Of <laughs> or other gins if Ford's isn't available. Um, a, a, a one part uh, vermouth, a dash of orange bitters, uh, stirred with a big lemon twist. Uh, oils over the top of the glass. This is making me thirsty just talking about it. <laughs> um, I do think it's uh, uh, sort of like risotto to a, a chef. It's a it's a test ground, but it's also one of the most beautiful and simple drinks that just always tastes delicious.
0: Yeah i was I was on your forged gin website and reading about <laughs> the martini. It was nice how you explain to people the different what makes it a dry martini or the different different ways to concoct your cocktail
1: it 's one of the most personalized drinks out there you know yeah. how much vermouth uh, you know what gin what vermouth shaken or stirred you know what garnish you know i mean and, and and then as soon as you start looking at all those variables now this one simple drink you can enjoy hundreds thousands of ways you know and so why not experiment experiment and find the perfect martini for you and i feel like i've finally got there i mean when we were developing the recipe for ford's gin it was absolutely essential that it made a good martini and we we were as geeky is to test different levels of the of um of botanicals in it and put more botanicals to create more oil put less to create less oil um and, and get that perfect moment so that we'd have a nice silky martini and of course there's lots of citrus in the drink plenty of plenty of um juniper which is obviously key to gin and we put botanicals like angelica which Sort of add a touch of sweetness, which brings uh, uh, you know um, you know you you detect on the front of your palate, which brings balance. So, I, I think Ford's is a, a good martini gin, and if I was to say if there's one way to go and try it for the first time, would be in you know, a classic martini.
0: Yeah, I'm thinking. <laughs> And this is the first time I've said this the show but I'm thinking this is very appropriate my show is kind of leading right up to happy hour because I think everyone <laughs> anyone who's listening right now live is gonna want want, want a drink you're making everyone very thirsty <laughs> um, one more question before we take a break what what advice would you give to someone who wants to be in the spirits industry doing doing similar work to what you did or starting their own spirits company uh,
1: it's I would say it's all about the energy that you put in. You, 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 you put in a lot of energy, you get out so much more. I think it's also about listening to people uh, and, and, and finding out what other people like and what other people think. And with all of those opinions and with all of that information that you can collect by great conversation with great people who do all have opinions about these things, certainly people that care, uh, I think that you can start something that will certainly appeal. To, the, to, the, to that group. Does that make sense?
0: Yes. It's good advice. <laughs> it's good advice for anyone. Okay, we're going to take another break. We're going to come back. We'll play my speed round game and talk some industry news. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. <gasps> back to only industry on heritage radio network i'm sherry bayer my guest today is simon ford it's time for my speed round game what this is is i name a few things and you get to pick your preference such as chocolate or vanilla
1: chocolate very good (laughs) very good you're gonna be fabulous
0: okay here we go eat in or eat out
1: out always
0: wine beer cocktail or mocktail wine Hmm.
1: I know (laughs) Don't tell anyone (laughs) Gin (laughs) (laughs) You didn't have gin in there Um,
0: Tasting menu or a la carte
1: Tasting menu I love that It's an expression of what the chef really feels
0: Yeah How about small plates or large plates
1: Large plates
0: Communal table or chef's counter
1: Chef's counter
0: Tipping or all-inclusive charge
1: Tipping Big tipping
0: Big (laughs) tipping. Guest bartending or just being a bar guest?
1: Being a bar guest. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm guest bartending this weekend. Where? (laughs) In Las Vegas. Oh, that's exciting. uh, On the record, it's a new new, um, cocktail music bar. It should be fun.
0: Yeah, that should be. Okay, a few more. Here's your gin one. Rum, tequila, vodka, or gin?
1: Gin, 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 and Gin. (laughs) And tequila. (laughs) I'm only allowed one. Sorry.
0: (laughs) Cheese plate or dessert?
1: Cheese plate.
0: Manhattan, Brooklyn, or Nashville?
1: Manhattan. I am so uncool right now. I know it, but I just, the energy of this, this little island, I love it. I I love it. You're like, you're like
0: a little, I don't know. You're so, you're so happy and I, your energy. I love your energy. It's fantastic. And, and Manhattan is a great answer. So there, see, I knew you'd be good at that game (laughs) fast. Okay. So industry news, I picked out a article in the New York times that came out today. And this is Pete Wells review this week, but he did not it's not a, a star rating review, but the the article is called "At Last, a Restaurant with That New Car Smell," and this is on Intersect by Lexus, which is a new restaurant in the Meatpacking District that is being run by Danny Meyer's Union Square Hospitality Group, and it has rotating chefs. So right now, the chef. In resident is Gregory Marchand, who's from Frenchy restaurants in Paris and London. I don't know. Are you familiar with? Yes, that at all? I love. Okay. I
1: love that restaurant. I I haven't been. To, I've been to one in London. It's beautiful.
0: Yeah, I've heard about Amazing. it. I had. I I hadn't. I haven't been, but I did go. So Pete Wells. Pete Wells really liked this restaurant a lot, and I I thought it was an interesting uh, to talk about because it's this. It's a. It's. It's called Intercept Intersect by Lexus. It's a lexus the car company their restaurant it's a branded restaurant and it's it's a new way of marketing and that that brands are doing um i went i had dinner there one night by myself at the bar at the chef's counter upstairs and i have to say first going i was a little hesitant i'm like intersect by lexus what what is this place but i i love the food i love the space the it was. I was sitting at the chef's counter in front of the open kitchen, got to watch all the action. I had a really great experience, and when the dishes I had, the the halibut is one of the one of the um, recommended dishes that Pete said. So I don't know. What's your take well, on all this? I mean,
1: my first question is, did you buy a Lexus? <laughs> I did not.
0: No, but I didn't buy a Lexus, and then he points out it's two levels. There's a Lexus downstairs. There's like a coffee shop downstairs and a Lexus in the back. And then they have a cool, you know, those uh, like toy cars. They have a a whole display by the bathroom that's very Instagrammable, which I took a picture of. Um, But there's no Lexus upstairs. Once you're upstairs in the dining room, I don't think I saw any branded content or material that would have let me know i was dining in lexus's restaurant
1: i remember once upon a time when i was young i got a box of cereal and inside it was this toy car Mm -hmm. i guess this is taking it to the next level you know i know that (laughs) emp they give you the you know the granola when you leave and it's delicious right and it lasts until you go to bed that night but you know giving someone a car for buying dinner it's gonna make the bill expensive, but I, you know, you're there after seven glasses of champagne at dinner. The foie gras tasted amazing. You're like, you know what? Should we all get Lexus's? A round of Lexus's, please. <laughs> I, I, am there. Actually, now that you're, <laughs> I, I wouldn't have mind that. But
0: what? Maybe, maybe, you know, when they bring the check, they could have like a little toy Lexus for you, with your chocolate or you know, a little treat or a chocolate Lexus. Okay. I Who's
1: gonna call an Uber? I know. I got a better idea. (laughs) (laughs) I do. I do. I do think uh, experiential marketing is is a wonderful, um, you know, billboard. It's it's better than just putting a billboard up. Creating an experience is more memorable. I do think that uh, food is, you know, everyone knows that food is the way to someone's heart. So Lexus are obviously, uh, you know, you know, capitalising on that uh, uh, that moment, and of course. You know, bringing someone like the Frenchie mm-hmm. over from, you know, uh, from overseas is an experience that, uh, that you know, coming to New York. So I think it's, it's I, I, I'm, uh, it gets a thumbs up okay. for, for me. yeah. Well,
0: and the reason he didn't rate it or give it a star was because it's it's a temporary you know it's a residency so this chef is only going to be in the kitchen until march and they haven't announced who's coming in next and that's that concept there it's been in new york now for a few years with uh like chef's club has been doing that with rotating chefs and also there's the ado building in brooklyn that is it's a branded they call it a creative hub, but it's kind of like an event space, coffee shop, cafe. And that's by Mini, Which, but it's not as the car brand Mini, but it's not as obvious as because it's not called ADO by Mini, you know? Sure. Um, I don't know. I, I kind of have mixed feelings about it. Like I loved, I loved, I had a great, great time at the restaurant. And now I'd like to go, I would like to go back to the coffee shop and try. They have some pastries there and, um. It's, it's interesting. In,
1: in two minds, you know, I, when, when you were, you know, first talking about it, I was, you know, immediately, this is a car company that could potentially be taking business away from other restaurants was my initial thought. And then the, the, the thought that overtook that was, no, this is a great opportunity for chefs to show what they're doing to a new audience. Uh, and, and, and of course, if it's completely sponsored by a car company, even okay. better for that, that chef, you know, who probably doesn't you know always have the, the 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 means to to fund something like that so uh, you know Lexus is offering opportunity to chefs and it's op- offering opportunities to people that love food to try something new it's it, it's cool would that lead to me buying a Lexus i do not know if they were to do something like okay here's the 50 best restaurants in the world i can get your reservation all of them if you buy a re- re- Lexus you know because it could be the next level i might be okay yeah i'll buy a Lexus instead of yeah, Yeah, it's interesting. And also they partnered... <laughs> Did you hear that, Lexus? <laughs> <laughs>
0: they also partnered with, with Danny Meyer. I mean... It's That's a, a amazing, very, yeah. You know, One of the, the best. To have, I mean, the hospitality and that, that level of experience running the the front of the house. Is,
1: is Maybe the new Lexuses are going to come with like ovens and, you know, little... <laughs> Just <laughs> stay knows?
0: tuned. I don't know. But <laughs> it's it's I, I, it's worth checking out. It's on 14th Street right in the Meatpacking District. And um, I'm curious to see who the next chef is. It's probably going to be, I'm assuming it, it will be an international chef, which is exciting.
1: They could put the Michelin Guide in the satellite navigation. I think that's the next. I mean, I'm seeing a theme here.
0: <laughs> I love it. If we keep going on and on, you're going to come up with all these new ideas for them. I'm, I hope, I'm
1: looking for a marketing <laughs> position. I, I hope I ob- Alexis is listening.
0: <laughs> okay, great. So we're going to take one more break and we'll come back. I have my solo dining experience and the final question. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. Welcome back to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer. It's time for my solo dining experience. This week, it's at Burnt Ends, without even knowing that my guest was going to mention Singapore earlier in the show. But here's the rundown. The location, 20 Tech Limb Road, tucked in Chinatown in Singapore. The concept, modern Australian barbecue featuring a four-ton, two-oven brick, custom-made kiln for oven-fired cooking with coal, apple, or almond wood. The chef and owner, David Pint, and the co-owner, Andre Shiang. So why did I go? Well, I was in Singapore, and I heard amazing things about this restaurant, this Michelin star restaurant, and so I wanted to go. So, my experience. I uh, made a reservation for one a few weeks in advance. I got a seat at the bar, which is... There's two areas. It's mostly uh, chef's counter around an open kitchen. And then they have some bar seats on the counter facing the other way. And that's one of the seats I was able to secure. And uh, the space is really cool. It's open kitchen. It's uh, smoky, but it's not too smoky. It's well ventilated. And uh, I wanted everything on the menu. So my server helped guide me through it. And uh, I think I did pretty well with what I ordered. And everything came out fairly quickly and I had a great time. So what did I get? Okay, I had a smoked quail egg with caviar, grissini and terra masalata, beef marmalade and house pickles, a dish of leek, hazelnut and black truffle. I had beef tenderloin, burnt onion and bone marrow and chocolate fondant and smoked ice cream. I ordered a lot, I was hungry. It wasn't actually that much because some of these portions were on the smaller side, but it was, it was fantastic. I also had some sparkling water. So my take, I really loved it. It was, it was a more decadent, rich, meat heavy meal than I typically have, but everything was really well balanced and delicious. My neighbors next to me had the langoustines, which I wish I could have had too, but you can only order so much. Okay. So the ambiance is it's long, narrow, as I said, it has this open kitchen. Uh, it's, uh, Counter seats, and in the back, they have one chef's table. So I'd say it's perfect for a unique barbecue experience. Interesting tidbit it is number 10 on Asia's 50 best list and number 61 on the world's 50 best list. Those are restaurant lists of the best restaurants in the world. Personal fun fact, and this one thrown in there for Simon. So afterwards, I did world's best bar hopping. First, I walked to Twenty Eight Hong Kong Street, and then I took cars around. I went to Atlas and I went to Manhattan Bar. I had non-alcoholic drinks at all of them, and uh, they're they're fantastic. Uh, Atlas is really grand and in, in quite something. And also, on another day, I went to Raffles Hotel and I had a mock Singapore Sling, and that's where that was invented. So I was very proud of my my bar hopping in Singapore. The cost of my Burnt Ends meal was $105. That's including everything and converted into U.S. Would I go back? Yes. And their website's burntends.com.sg. So there you go. You said you were recently in Singapore.
1: I mean, those three bars are three of the best bars in the world. No, no doubt about it. 28 Hong Kong Street, uh, sort of yeah. almost uh, started a movement out there Atlas is obviously one of the greatest gin bars you're ever likely to see it's so grand um, and the Manhattan bar with all of the barrel cocktails I mean you you, you went to three of my favorite bars in the world and uh, um, so
0: I, I I felt I was excited about my hopping around and it was it was I had a great time and the hospitality was great and I I felt I needed I wanted to see all of those places because I'd heard
1: yeah Amazing! I, I, I honestly, the, the, I, I feel like the the people that work there are family, and and uh, and what they do is is changing the way people drink all over the world. You know, it's it's, it's truly impressive, and and I think they have something like thirteen hundred gins now at the Atlas Bar. I mean, something ridiculous. Is your
0: is your gin
1: there? With a house martini. It's, uh, it's incredible. You know, of, of, of all, all of the gins they could have chosen to serve in, it's probably sells more forged gin than most places around the world. I would say it's one of our biggest uh, customers.
0: Well, I, I don't even know how to describe that venue. It's just grand, and so it's just you walk in, you're like, wow. <laughs> it's, it's, it is. It's
1: breathtaking. It's uh-huh. absolutely breathtaking.
0: Yeah, well. I had a great time. A great time in Singapore. I don't know. Did you? You didn't happen to go to Burn Ends to eat? Did I you?
1: I didn't. Yeah, uh, but time. I will be planning on going back. Uh, you know, the, our, our new gin. You know, we, we're going to throw a launch party at the Atlas Bar. I hope later this oh, year. So, nice. so it's good. It's, it's good to get a tip uh, as to where to eat. I, 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 uh, I went to a restaurant called the Tipling Club when I was there last time, and it was stunning. That was that was that was definitely a, a place that I would recommend people go and, and yeah, have an afternoon dinner.
0: And I didn't. I we didn't get to this, but pre, you travel a, a ton, right?
1: A lot, yeah. How, I did last year.
0: Yeah. How do you How do you manage that? Or
1: I I, I burn I burn out at the end of the year. <laughs> I sleep for two weeks solid. <laughs> I take lots of vitamins. Well, the,
0: the the jet lag was real coming back from Singapore. I have to say. Oh
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a big trip,
0: but worth it. Okay, it's time for the final question. My next guest is J.J. Johnson. He is the chef and partner at Henry in Nomad, and he's also the founder of Ingrained Hospitality Concepts, which includes Field Trip, a new rice concept opening in Harlem. So, Simon, what would you like to ask J.J.?
1: I would actually like to ask J.J., what country's cuisine inspires him most? And then uh, from the U.S. perspective, I'd love to know which city or state's cuisine inspires him the most?
0: I love that question. It's a good one.
1: Yeah, I'd be very interested. I I I I, I like I like what he's doing a lot. And so that that would be interesting to know.
0: I will find out. I like what he's doing too. And that's the show.
1: Thank so. you for having me. This was great.
0: Thank you for coming on. I'm I'm in awe of everything you've accomplished all these years and, and look forward to to what's to come and I'm glad I've gotten to to know you and see you through your travels and popping through New York. Yeah,
1: I, I feel like I'm always bumping into you, at, 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 whether it's James Beard Awards it's or like, Tales of the Cocktail, yeah. I feel like I, I, I always bump into you. It's
0: yeah, it's normally a, a, a <laughs> quick, sometimes it's a high buy, you get a little faster, it's nice <laughs> we had this time to chat, but um, congratulations on everything cool. and uh, hope to see you again soon. Thank you. So, my guest today has been Simon Ford. He is a leader in the spirits, cocktail, and bar industry. He's the founder of The 86 Company, which includes Cana Brava Rum, Forge Gym, Tequila Cabeza, and Ellsbury Duck Vodka. Their website is the86co.com and on social media, The86co and at Simon underscore The86co and also at Forge Gin. Yes. And you can find me on social media at Sherry Bayer, at Bayer PR, at All Industry. My Facebook page is All in the Industry. Websites, BayerPublicRelations.com and SherryBayer.com. All of our shows are archived at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. We are also on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify. So you can find us anywhere, anytime. Thanks to my engineer today, Noam. Thanks again to Simon. And thanks to David, his publicist. And uh, thank you for listening and being a part of All in the Industry. I'll be back next week with another live show. Hope you'll tune in then. Till then, have a great week. Bye. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter.